You're listening to the preaching ministry of Redemption Bible Church in New Braunfels, Texas, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's word without apology. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you as you seek to worship Christ, walk with Christ, and work for Christ, all to the glory of God. For more information about our church, please visit redemption.bible. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you soon at one of our upcoming worship services. Turn in your copy of God's Word to John 1, uh, verse 35. John 1, 35 through the end of chapter 1, verse 51 there is uh, where we'll focus our attention this morning. And uh, let me just say this. If you're new with us, uh, for whatever reason God has brought you uh, through our doors this morning, we're uh, delighted that you're here. And it's really a great time to uh, be with us as we've just started this uh, new series, walking uh, verse by verse and passage by passage through uh, John's gospel uh, here together as he invites us to come and believe, to come and see uh, this morning. And now as you're finding in your Bible, uh, I could imagine that uh, for the many of us in here uh, this morning that uh, we have some childhood memories from either the playground or maybe from PE class uh, uh, where, uh, where you were playing a game and uh, you had to go through the process of picking teams whether it's football or baseball or soccer or capture the flag or, or anything like that, whatever it was, you uh, know how it rolls. There's two captains that are picked and everybody needs to be divided into two teams and one goes first until uh, name after name is called and everybody has their assigned team. And there's the, uh, the horror of being picked last has been the source of many adolescent tears, right? The pride of being picked first has also swollen many adolescent egos, hasn't it? And people are chosen based on, you know, a perceived skill, like really what a kid has uh, great skill anyways, but oftentimes they're picked based on who's friends with who and what person you want on your team. And occasionally kids are picked really out of pity or maybe uh, some sort of kindness, but as we come to the text today, Jesus is assembling his team, his first disciples, those that would uh, follow him uh, initially as, uh, as his followers, as those who would be his students. And uh, we can praise God that Christ doesn't pick them based on skill or, or any other kind of playground principles today, but he's picking those uh, that were, would maybe be designated as least likely to follow him. And so with those memories in our mind, let's kind of toss those out and let's come to the text this morning. Let's come to the text and read this account, two parallel passages uh, pointing us in the same direction. But let's read our passage and see this account for ourselves. Again, it's in John 1. I'll begin in verse 35 and read to the end of the chapter. It says this, The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold! the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this following and said to them, what are you seeking? They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come, you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. And one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. 
The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew, and Peter and Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the uh, law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and uh, said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, this is God's word for God's people. Last week, I told you, or if you watched the intro video to this, in every passage and every scene uh, here, the writer John has a purpose for us, a purpose that we would believe a truth about Jesus and have life in his name. And so at the core of these two parallel accounts here, this one uh, passage for us as Jesus is assembling his team has embedded in it this truth. Write it down in your notes for it is the core here of the passage. And it is this, that Jesus is the only one worthy of being followed. Jesus is the only one worthy to be followed. Now, as we come to this uh, text here and let that just uh, sink in for a moment, let me just say this. It's easy to get caught up in trying to understand who these disciples are. We just want, I think it's right. We're interested in them. Who are these guys? And to build out a character study and to, uh, you know, to even just ask ourselves, like, why does Jesus choose these guys? What's so special about them? What set these guys apart? Well, the reality is it doesn't really matter for the text doesn't give us much details about them apart from a few things of whose family they belong to and where they are from. But we have uh, little to go on uh, about these guys. And isn't that so uh, relieving, actually, when we think about our own coming to Christ? It doesn't matter where we are from or what you did in your past or uh, if you come from good stock or bad stock. stock, the, The emphasis in coming to Christ is all on who Jesus is. For that is what is really repeated in this text. That's where the emphasis lies. What matters is that you are following this one, the Messiah, the right one, Jesus. And now why do I say that? So we come to a text here. Well, what is repeated over and over, not the same phrase, but a same concept or theme about Jesus? It's his titles. Did you notice as I was reading through the text just how many and how various the titles about this one man, Jesus, are spread all across the text? Did anybody notice that? Let's just do a, a quick exercise here in the verses. All right, it, let, let me just say this. Good Bible study habits, good. Uh, when you come to any text, the first step is always observation. 
All right? We come to a text, we want to know what it means, we want to apply it rightly. Well, before we do anything like that, we have to observe. We just have to read it. What is in the text? And one of the most basic uh, things that when you come to any text is just ask what, uh, what is repeated. Is there a repeated phrase or is there a repeated theme and all that? And when you come to this text, you find that there are multiple titles of Jesus or references to his work uh, in, uh, in, in, in just these verses here. You want to do an exercise with me? All right, let's do this. We're going to begin in the first verse. We're just going to work our way. We're going to scan through the text. And when you see a title of Jesus, I want you to call it out. All right? This is participatory. All right? Let's just do it together here. Let's start in verse uh, 35. Next day, John standing with two disciples. He looked at Jesus and walked by and said, where's the first one? Right there. Lamb of God, right? Easy peasy. All right, I'm not going to read it all. Just kind of scan. You can read it in your own mind. Look down in verse 37, 38. Ah, rabbi, which means teacher. There's another one. Good, good. And that's like, uh, it's referring to the Hebrew word and the Greek word. When they're saying like it means, it's just helping us. One is in the, it's it's like the, the Hebrew word and the Greek word here. So rabbi, teacher, there we go. Okay, keep going down. Any others? Messiah, which means? Christ up in verse 41. Good, good. Keep on going down. Any others of Jesus? Give you a hand. You can go down to 45. This one's kind of a long one here in verse 45. Yeah, there's one. There's one even before that. The one of whom Moses and the prophets wrote, right? Yeah. The one of whom, that's like a reference here. The one in the Old Testament, right? And then, as you said, right, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So there's a, a, a Old Testament prophecy there. And then also like his location, his family. Here's where he's from and who's, here's, uh, here's who his dad is. Okay, keep on going down. Any other titles? Son of God in verse 49. Yeah, a repetition of rabbi there. But son of God, well, in verse 49. King of Israel. Yeah, so a reference to his deity, a reference to the Davidic uh, promise in 2 Samuel 7 of king of Israel. Any others in the text? Son of man, yeah. A reference from uh, uh, Daniel and Ezekiel there. A lot of different titles, right? Like if you can try to write these down or pull out your phone, take a, a picture of it if you would like there. But what do we make of all these things? Okay, here's our observation. Here's what the emphasis on the text is. It's really not about who these disciples are, but who this Jesus is. Who is he? So what do we, what do we make of all this, right? That the passage is more about the one to be followed than the, those who are following him. Second thing we could, you know, just uh, make of this is that, well, all of these Old Testament references here are colliding in one person. It's all where, where they had all these references here. Now they're all like pointing and finding their fulfillment in this one. And furthermore, here it's like as these, they're coming, they're piecing together these things, maybe without fully understanding all the implications of each one of it. But the point it really of it is, is to come and see who this one is in all of his titles and all of his work and to believe that he is who he says he is. For also repeated into the, in the text is this one simple invitation. And each parallel passage is the invitation to come and see. 
to come and see that Jesus is the only one worthy of being followed. And over the course of these two days, as Jesus, uh, in all of these titles here, as he is assembling his team, he first tells his disciples this. Write it down, for it's the first part of the passage. He first tells the disciples this, to leave behind your other masters and bring your loved ones with you. If we were to just take the, that first section on the first day here, the emphasis is for us that we are to leave behind. If we're going to follow uh, a Christ, the only one worthy of being followed, we must leave behind all other masters and invite our loved ones or to bring the loved ones with us. Now in verse 35, there's a, a, another repetition. There's a connection back to, for the prior day, John the Baptist here, uh, uh, issues this uh, same declaration about Jesus, to behold the Lamb of God. He said it the day before, and it's like as if, uh, you know, everywhere Jesus goes in this region, and, and John the Baptist, can we just call him JB for a moment? There's so many Johns here. John the person in the text, John the gospel, John, let's just call him JB. Can we do that? It's familiar. He's like our friend. JB here, it's like everywhere he's gone, he's making this declaration. Jesus walks in the room, behold the Lamb of God. Down the street, sees him crossing in front of the ice cream shop, behold the Lamb of God. And on this day now, he, it's, it mentions he has two disciples uh, with him, one in which we find out is whom? Andrew. It's, it's Andrew. The other one who's unnamed is uh, believed to be, and likely so, it is John, John the disciple, John the one who wrote this, uh, this gospel uh, here and who also wrote the letters at the end for 2nd, 3rd John and uh, the book of Revelation. But he's unnamed. And that, that you'll, as we go through John, you'll see this. He, he will say things like this without calling attention to himself. And, and, some, and so you say, the beloved disciple. Just a reminder that he is uh, uh, beloved, but he's not named here. Some think maybe as Philip was also who we meet, was a disciple of John, but in this case, likely John the author, the son of Zebedee and the brother of James. But the point is here, these two disciples, they hear what JB is saying, behold the Lamb of God, he's got this on repeat, and what do they do? See ya, John, Right? They give the deuces and they go follow Jesus. Like if what you are saying is true, then we need to follow this guy. And he makes a big stink about it. I was like, you can't leave me. You have to keep following me. Is that what happens in the text? No, not at all. He, he, they, they go and follow Jesus. And let's just look at the text. The exchange here is so interesting. They, they follow Jesus and Jesus turns and he's like, what, what are you seeking? Right? And he just asks them these questions. I go kind of back and forth, and there's just like, well, why are you looking where I'm staying and all that? What's very interesting here, even though they are asking, like, where are you staying? Where are you going? Because I want to. This word staying here is also, it's a word that we'll see later in John of abiding, to dwell, to stay, to remain, to abide. And so embedded in this, yes, is that they're asking a physical location. Where are you staying? But where, where, where are you abiding? Where are you remain? There's some deeper connotations here, as we'll see months from now when we get to John 15, about abiding in Christ, abiding in his love. But he invites them beyond it all. It doesn't even make sense here, really, because he's not like, oh, well, I'm staying down, you know, on Main Street, and I have this, you know, penthouse down here, or I have this, I'm saying, no, he just invites them. He doesn't actually give them any details. He just says, come, and you will see, which they do. They, they do, they come and see, and what does Andrew immediately do? 
He, he goes and invites his, his brother. He follows him. They leave behind their previous master, John, a good master, the one who was pointing them to Christ. They leave him behind, and now Andrew goes and finds in great, with, out of great love for his brother and says, you have to come and see we have found the Messiah. And you know what's so interesting about Andrew here? He only is mentioned three times in the book of John, and guess what he's doing in each instance? Introducing somebody to Jesus. It's so cool here. He's introducing his very brother to Jesus. In, in, Matt, or in John 6, in the, when, uh, it is Andrew who introduces the boy with the loaves and fish to Jesus. He's like, here's the, here, here's the one. Come and meet Jesus. Here, here's all the food that we found. Later in chapter 12, it is Andrew who's bringing these Greeks, these Gentiles, the first like ones outside of, of Israel, these ones who are looking for Jesus. And he introduces these, these guys to Jesus. What a legacy that is. We know all about Peter's uh, uh, work for the Lord in his later life, right? He has some blunders here in the early days and things. But man, through his preaching, through his leadership, uh, he uh, is a a rock in the foundation of uh, of the church. And yet it is Andrew here who is introducing him to the Messiah, to Christ here. He is bringing them and you know what? I think this is often un, uh, true in many of our testimonies of how we are coming to Christ. We are, we, we are following a different master. This is true of all of us. We're following our own master of our sin. And, you know, the, 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 we ourselves thought we were the masters of our own life. Now, Christ's invitation, we leave them behind and come to him. And maybe the master is not uh, necessarily something evil like that, but maybe even a good master. You're following your parents under their authority or maybe a spiritual leader or a pastor uh, uh, that, uh, uh, that you placed a lot of stock in that were, 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 uh, were very godly. And yet only Jesus is the Lamb of God. It, it is only Christ who laid down his life to save you doesn't mean like John the Baptist or anybody else is evil and that we just isolate ourselves and become uh, uh, autonomous individuals. No, we follow others as they follow Jesus and we invite others to come and follow Jesus as we too uh, are coming and seeing and following after him. But the reality is we leave behind and we invite others not knowing who will say yes. Nor will be used by the Lord in incredible ways like Peter how awesome it is of God that he might use us like that. That he would invite us to come and see ourselves and to use us to be his messengers, to bring those, to just say, come and see. And this is what he does here in this first passage, but the second one is, is like it. In the parallel passage, there's a similar invitation to leave behind something and, and be ready to, to, to change. Here's the point if you're writing it down the second point in the next half is to leave behind your preconceived notions get ready to have your life completely transformed there's a leaving behind of things as we come to follow christ the one who is worthy to be followed we leave behind masters and we leave behind these preconceived notions that we may have about jesus and about following him and we must embrace the reality that life is about to completely change so in the next section here just look at verse 43 there's these like time stamps here the next day 
Jesus decided to go to Galilee. Now, don't overlook that because John has a a point throughout this, this entire gospel that everything Jesus does is deliberate. He's not just going off on a whim. He's not just spontaneous in how he's moving about Galilee and the regions and when he comes to Jerusalem and when he leaves and who he talks to. Jesus is very deliberate in carrying out the mission and who he is ministering to. He makes sure, John will go through to make sure over and over that we get that. And he's here on a mission. He comes to find Philip, and then Philip in turn finds Nathaniel. And then Philip's message is that, hey, we've found a Jesus. Do you see that there? It's just like over and over. He found Philip. He said, Philip, follow me. Philip said, Bethsaida goes to find Nathaniel. Nathaniel says, we have found him of whom Moses wrote. In this case, Jesus is both the seeker and the one being sought after. And so we, we, we can sum up the whole text, both of these passages like this. Those who seek Jesus will find him. Those whom Jesus seeks will be found by him. Therefore, introduce all your family and friends to come to him. There, there's the, the whole message in three senses, right? <laughs> you can know two now. Those who seek Jesus will find him. Those whom Jesus seeks will be found by him. Therefore, go tell your family and friends about him. But you know what's very interesting in this text here? Jesus is coming. He finds Philip, he's on the, and we find, we discover some things about him from Bethsaida, the city is also where Andrew and Peter are from, and Philip goes to this uh, friend, Nathaniel, and all up until this point, it seems like John, Andrew, Philip, even Peter here, come immediately and without hesitation. Here, behold the Lamb of God, John and Andrew go. They go tell Peter. Peter comes. Jesus says these things. We'll come back to what uh, in his renaming in just a moment here. Phil, they, 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 they just follow. But Nathaniel doesn't concede so easily, does he? He's maybe more like us. We're a little more skeptical. Right? Like if somebody came like, and, and said, hey, I found this, uh, this amazing healer, this person that will radically transform your life, how many would be like, all right, let's go? Most of us in here are a little more skeptical, right? We don't know, like, oh, I don't know about that. You've got to tell me a few things. This, this, is the one, this is the guy from Nazareth, right? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? That's his answer. That's his skepticism right here. Okay, he wrote about him in this, but, you know, maybe he knows his Bible pretty well because that's where maybe you're asking, like, right now, like, why the disdain for Nazareth? Like, what was so bad about it? Well, a couple things there. Nazareth isn't mentioned in the Old Testament uh, at, at all, let alone there's no messianic association with him. The Messiah would come from where? He would be born in what town? Bethlehem, which we'll, we'll, we discover, and that's, that's true. But then, you know, we know the other things. He went to Nazareth, and that's where he grew up. And the son of Joseph was like, nah. But there was also, there was some saltiness against the, uh, the Galileans, where they are, the kind of the northern part of Israel. It's the farming region, you know, and so the, the city folk had a little bit of, uh, you know, they, they didn't like the, the Galileans, where Nazareth was. Comes out, if you read like in Acts 2, they're like, hey, what's, what's up with all these Galileans here, right? Same kind of mentality. There's a prejudice against where they're from, a preconceived notion about where the Messiah would come from and what this place was all about. But what's interesting here, even in Nathaniel's skepticism, does Philip seek to answer or give any rebuttals about all that? What does he just say? Verse 46. 
Nathanael says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip says to him, well, actually, let me turn, take you to the Old Testament. What does he say? Come and see. Draw and repeat. Both parallel passages. And church, let me just say, this is the primary invitation of our unafraid witness. To just be uh, uh, invitational, to say over and over to the people that God puts in your life, come and see. Come and let me just introduce you to Christ. Come and let me show you the impact that he has had in my life. More than Our, our evangelism was more than just like the, the, the practiced gospel presentations. You know, the gospel in five points, that God is holy and we are not. Our sin has separated us from him. And so uh, God had to send Christ who stood in our place and, and, and lived the life that we couldn't live and die the death that we uh, uh, deserve to die. And now he has set us free from our sin to walk in newness of life as we repent of our sin and believe in Christ. All that is true. And yet it begins with an invitation to say, come and see. Come and let me introduce you to the one who has changed me. Yes, you have all of your arguments. Yes, we know apologetics, but I just want to show you the one who radically changed my life. I was once one way hopeless, and now I have hope. I was once uh, lost and destroying my life in sin, and now he has set me free to have a, a joy that I never knew and was seeking in these things. I was, uh, I, I was once despairing, and now he gave me joy. I was once full of anxiety, and now he has given me peace. I don't can't explain all of the bits and pieces and all of the finer points of theology, but one thing I can tell you is true that my life is different and it's different because of one person Christ come and see that's how they are inviting him this is their unafraid witness he is he is they, they are appealing to the change the transformation the difference that is made you know when I was a, a kid I used to wear all kinds of brands of athletic shoes just really whatever my parents bought me, whatever. Oftentimes there are Walmart specials. Occasionally I got some Nikes, maybe some Adidas. But for athletic shoes, you know, playing football and baseball and basketball, wrestling, all those things, running, it was just, it was just a smart sport. It was really whatever looked cool, right? Whatever looked awesome, whatever my friends had, whatever, you know, made me uh, have a little bit more swagger. Those were the shoes that I wore. And maybe you were like it. But then when I got to college... I had this friend who worked at a New Balance store and was always talking about the difference that New Balance made for him, not just uh, in, in, in his athletics and in, in sports, but he would talk about how podiatrists even recommend them for uh, elderly folks and those with foot problems. And if you have plantar fasciitis or, you know, if, you're, if you walked with a, a pronation or supination or however you walked, these shoes made all the difference. I thought it was too good to be true. Well, until you get fitted by them, you go in the store and you walk through it all and they, uh, they show you your gait and how you're, uh, how you're walking and running and all that. And, and needless to say, I was hooked. So much so that I worked there even for a season after Moody before coming on staff at the church and, and, uh, and really have worn them exclusively for running and athletic shoes and all that. And of course, I wear different shoes on Sundays and things, you know, just have these on and most of the time now being in 
you know, Texas, I wear Chacos like 10 months out of the year during the week and things. And I could tell you a similar story about how Chacos have rocked my life. But shoes can be a game changer, y'all, but only Jesus is a life changer. <laughs> right? Hashtag that, right? That's right. But this is why this same thing, the, it was the, the difference maker. It was the change and the transformation. And this is what Philip tells Nathaniel about. Just come and see. And he does. He comes and sees. And then the interaction between Nathaniel and Jesus is itself intriguing, right? He comes and Jesus says this, this, this you know, really flabbergasting statement, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. They're like, what is, what is going on? Like he's, not, like, he's not a liar. He's not whatever. And, you know, and then like, Nathaniel's like, well, how do, you, how do you know who I am? Well, the whole thing here is really proving Jesus' omniscience. I, I knew where you were before this. You were under that fig tree before Philip came. And Nathaniel's like, wow. And believes. The reference here is he's, he's, he's referring back to Genesis and, and particularly the story of Jacob in Genesis 28. For Jacob, and his very name means deceiver, and his life was he like deceived his way into uh, the kingdom, into following the Lord. And now he's like, here's one that's not like him. And actually, you're going to see greater things because Jacob's vision in, Ge- in Genesis 28 was this, uh, uh, the, the vision of uh, the ladder between heaven and earth and angels go- uh, going up and down on it. And Jesus is like, you're going to see things greater because guess what? I'm the ladder. I'm the way to heaven. That's what he's getting at in verse 51 here. You're going to see an incredible thing. You follow me, and I'm going to do some, I'm going to blow your mind. I am the way to heaven. I am the way. Uh, I, I have brought heaven here, and I am the way to heaven. It, it's, it's, it's mind-blowing. Totally changes the way that they view the, the world all his preconceived notions washed away in amazement of the Son of God, the King of Israel, the Rabbi, the Son of Man. And maybe this morning you have some preconceived notions about who Jesus is and about what following him entails. And you're like, yeah, this, is, this sounds too good to be true. This can't really, I, I don't know about this. Maybe it's because you have a history in the church and, and, uh, and you've been hurt there and, and now you're just, you're, you're wondering, like, I, I, don't, I don't know. You're skeptical. Maybe you have a, had a neighbor, a coworker a, along the way who claimed to be a Christian, but you saw how they really lived. Like, I, I don't know if this is so true. Maybe you just taught something as a kid that has filtered uh, or become a filter for the way that you see everything, including seeing things in the Bible, including seeing uh, the, the things of God. And let me just say here, even, even if that's you this morning, I'd be happy to talk through any of those things, to answer any questions, to walk through some of the, 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 the hang-ups that maybe you have. But the invitation this morning is to come and see the difference that Christ makes. Whatever it is, whatever might be an obstacle, come and see the difference that Christ will make in your life. Maybe for the very first time, you're beginning to see that, no, there is a God. And he, this, 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 this is unlike anything that I've ever seen. 
And this Christ is somebody that I can't maybe fully explain. It doesn't make sense. And his love and grace and dying on the cross and all that maybe you've heard along the way. Come and see the difference. Maybe you've fallen Christ. Maybe you've accepted him. You're, you're a Christian, but you're, you're stalled out. You have some hang-ups about what it means to walk with him and be in community and, 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 and to take a, the, the next step of obedience and following him. In the same way, can I just invite you to come and see the difference of what following him is like, of how greater things uh, are, are, are what he desires than any of the hurt, any of the hang-ups, any of the, uh, the preconceived notions maybe that you Come and see the difference. Leave it behind, but get ready to have your life radically, completely transformed. Because that's what he offers. That's what it's all in this text. He, he changes where we go, where we stay, how we live our life. He changes us down to the very uh, the point of how we are known and what we are called. That's what he's getting at here with Peter. You were Simon, but now uh, you have something greater in store. You're not going to be known by just Simon the fisherman. You're going to be Peter. Rock, a rock in the foundation of the church. You don't know it yet. You're still perplexed but I've got something greater in story. And that's what, God, that's what God does. You follow Christ, radical transformation. Where you go, where, how, what you're called, what you're known for, how you think about the world, the prejudices that maybe exist in you or in the culture around you, he, he changes all of that. How you think about other people, what they look like and how they speak or where they're from. God changes all of that. He changes how you view the future, things ahead. Changes how we view heaven and life after this and what awaits us. This is what God calls us to, to come and see. And he won't show it to you all right at the beginning because you wouldn't believe it even if he did. I just think what you know about the Lord now and what you've known about your life, if God had told you and you'd been able to somehow watch a commercial of it 20 years ago, would you have even believed uh, where you'd be right now? Absolutely not. God in his kindness invites us to follow him by faith. Come, see, believe. I'll help you make sense of all the titles, all the names, all the things that are going on in my timing, by my grace, with the people of God around you. Come and see. He is the only one worthy to be followed. That's, that's, that, that, and if, if you're not doing that already, drop everything and, and come. Right? Drop everything and follow him. He's the only one worthy of being followed. But there's none like him. As the text demonstrates there's no life. There's no life like uh, a life like following Jesus, a life that will, uh, comes with a cost of leaving behind some old masters, of leaving behind some old ways of thinking, but only to gain something more incredible, something more eternal something completely transformative as we follow in Christ. See, we're all from various places, all various backgrounds, but each of us, like these titles in Christ, have collided together into this room, even today. Collided together in Christ, faith in him, walking together, following him. Following him through whatever lies ahead as we make our way one step at a time towards heaven. There's no one like Christ, y'all. 
no one worthy to be followed like he is. Would you pray with me? So we just come before the one calling us to come and see. God in heaven, here we are. Here we are really taking you at your word now. Asking you to do what only you can do in our hearts. Maybe, God, right now there, there are some masters in our life that, uh, man, we're clinging to and, uh, and reluctant to leave. Maybe there are some preconceived notions that we've just dug our heels in. And we're are reluctant to believe otherwise. Would you, by your spirit now, draw us to yourself? Seek us, find us. Lord, maybe we are, we're searching for answers. We're like, God, no, I want, I want to know. I want to see. I want to believe. I want, I, 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 I want to do what you're calling us to. God, would you even today make the answers clear? Would you show us how your way is better? Would you show us how you uh, uh, fulfill all these things? So we believe even today, we believe that you are the Son of Man. We believe that you, Jesus, are the only way to heaven. You are the ladder. And so God, take us by the hand. Lead us to it. Lead us up it. Christ, you are the only one worthy of being followed. And so we adore you as such. We worship you as such. In all of your ministry, from your coming to earth, your dying, your bearing that cross, to your kingship now as you sit and rule and reign, the Father's throne, crowned and enthroned. And so we look to you, we worship you as our king. We pray these things now. In the name of Christ and all redemption said,